All right, so welcome back into the live stream today. We're going to be diving into helium uh, and really in a big way, I think, in the sense of what helium is. Uh, many of you guys have heard us talk about uh, helium many times. We'll get into all kinds of details around this. Obviously, the origins of helium started around the IoT network. We'll kind of break down what that means. All that good stuff. My name is Paul Barron. Welcome back into TechPath. Today, of course, joining me is Amir Halim who is the founder and CEO of Helium. Great to have you on the show, Amir. Hey, Paul. Great to be here. Yeah. So a lot has happened uh, since the last time we talked uh, with Frank. Well, actually, we talked to Frank last about this time last year. Um, and then later in the year, he gave us quite a bit of a rundown on uh, kind of the evolution of Helium. Essentially, a lot of the news back then was as you guys merged into 5G. But I want to talk a little bit about the framework of Helium as a whole. For some of our audience, they may not necessarily completely understand what you guys are up to. Give us a rundown. Best way of thinking about Helium is um, a decentralized infrastructure provider, right? Like the, the goal um, of what we're doing is to try and put access to networks and control of networks in the hands of people, right? Telecom industry has been, um, the telecom industry specifically has been one of those industries that's practically impossible for like a regular person to to get into, right? If you thought, right. If you thought about... Uber or Airbnb is kind of a model, right, of someone becoming a, a fleet operator or, a, or someone getting involved in the hospitality industry. Helium is kind of a, a decentralized version of that that applies to telecom. Anyone can buy relatively inexpensive hardware, put it on their property, um, and become effectively a miniature cell site operator. And we think that's a pretty yeah. revolutionary idea. Yeah, I think when uh, we've had a chance to explore uh, the framework of what Helium operates on, mostly uh, what it has been you know, engaged in is the IoT side of things. Obviously with 5G, that changed a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about the transitions that you have gone through in the past year, especially transitioning from just IoT networks into more advanced solutions. Obviously we'll talk about the T-Mobile partnership, all that good stuff. But what what have kind of what the course of how all this is happening right now? Where is the end of this? Where do you see this going? Yeah, we started uh, focused on IoT when we started the company. Actually, reasonably long time ago now, back in 2013, our focus was IoT simply because we thought it was the least well served sector in telecom. Right, there really were no IoT networks. Like if you're building a sensor or a low power device, like there was no way for you to deploy that in in any cost-effective way or any way that maintained good battery life and, you know, that kind of stuff that's important in the IoT realm. We always wanted to look at other types of wireless network. When we, when we wrote the first white paper, I think it was in 2018, uh, you know, we, we included in it there, like, we want to investigate other, other methods, right? Like, other other networks right. that you could apply the same tactics to. And there are, there are different challenges for every kind of network, right? So for cellular in particular, for example, uh, access to spectrum is a huge problem. Right? like Spectrum is privately held by huge telcos uh, and regular people like us can't really get access to it, right? And, and so mm -hmm. one of the biggest changes that occurred over the, the, the last several years was CBRS, which is a citizen's band radio service, is an unlicensed uh, block of Spectrum that the FCC made available uh, and it allows regular, you know, non-multi-billion dollar spectrum holders to, to operate a cell network, right? And so think, things like that have changed over the course of time, uh, which have given us the opportunity to expand beyond just IoT and, and really create what, what we described in, in HIP 51 as this, as this network of networks. And, and HIPs in the, 
in the Helium universe are this sort of community governed uh, proposal system, just to, just for anyone who wasn't familiar. So Helium has transitioned away from being, you know, a singular IoT network to now this network of networks and it's sort of a rising tide lifts all boats kind of a, a concept. Yeah, I was looking here, it's uh, just some of the notes, 950,000 hotspots globally, three years, uh, expanding now, obviously into your, your framework there of network of networks. Uh, 4,000 hotspots in 1,000 cities nationwide. This is obviously U.S. Uh, that are providing cellular coverage. Talk to me a little bit about the bigger transition that you guys did, obviously, with uh, the HIP70 uh, and the transition over to the Solana chain. HIP70 was, is, um, you know, most people, I think, have focused on the Solana part, and that's, that's certainly a big part of it. Uh, but the bigger architecture story here is, Helium growing from 150 hotspots in Austin to a million hotspots uh, worldwide in less mm -hmm. than three years. It's, it's yeah. I don't remember, it's like 65,000 cities, 150 countries, like the numbers are staggering. Um, and as a result of that, you know, we've encountered a lot, right? Like it was the largest peer-to-peer -peer network that had ever been built. Uh, and there's a unique set of scaling challenges that we've had to sort of, you know, navigate throughout every single stage of the network's life. When we launched in 2019, that, that, or when we started building in 2017, really, there weren't many options for how you would do this. You, you were either using Ethereum or you were building something yourself. And uh, we ended up with the building something yourself kind of option. Yeah. Uh, and over time, you know, the things have changed. Solana now exists, you know, other L1 blockchain solutions exist. And we want to remain very focused on building wireless networks. And we want to leave the, the blockchain part to people who are very focused on building blockchains. And we think Solana is, is kind of best in breed at that. What were some of the key things that you guys were facing that said, hey, maybe this is the route for us to take? Um, what were some of those challenges that you saw kind of in the roadmap that made you make this decision? or helped you kind of go you know, in the, this direction, I should say. Yeah, the, 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 the best way I think of, of thinking about it is what is truly differentiated about Helium is, is really two things, it's proof of coverage and the economic model behind uh, data transfer, right? So, mm -hmm. so proof of coverage is, is kind of the system that rewards people for building the network at the start. Um, and then the data transfer piece, I, I think should be somewhat obvious, but that's, that's sensors and now subsequently cell phones, you know, moving data back and forth across the internet. We wanted to make sure those two things are as reliable and as, as consistent as possible. And today, the current design of the system is very monolithic, right? All of the complicated pieces right. around proof of coverage and data transfer are deeply embedded into the L1 blockchain that we built. And that makes it very difficult to iterate quickly on changes and improvements and, and basically do anything fast, right? It's a very brittle system. Uh, where touching any one thing can cause massive disruptive effects elsewhere mm. in the system, kind of like a big Jenga gotcha. tower, right? Like yep. you, move, you move one thing, the whole thing starts to wobble. And so it's made it difficult for us to make changes uh, and fix things that we know need to be fixed. And so fundamentally, HIP70 is about blowing apart the system, right? So instead of a monolithic system, you now have the idea of these oracles that live separately to the blockchain um, that are mm. responsible for data transfer, for proof of coverage, uh, and that kind of leaves the L1 blockchain part really only with the responsibility of moving tokens around and confirming transactions. And once you get to that point of architecture, it's like, well, why would we maintain our own L1 anymore, right? We should just we yeah. should delegate that part to someone who's ex excellent at that. And you get all kinds of benefits when you do that. You become part of the bigger ecosystem of developers that Solana has. 
Uh, you get access to these DeFi protocols, NFT marketplaces, you know, better exchange support, better wallet support. Mm -hmm. You know, we're kind of on an island on our own and have to do everything ourselves on our current network. Uh, so I'm super excited about being able to attach to this this bigger community that are doing all kinds of like amazing things. Yeah, when we looked at, okay, so when the news came out that uh, we actually did a video breakdown of the Helium Solana uh, challenge and, and what um, HIP70 would be doing, the thing that interested me, at least when we were monitoring, we monitor mostly um, sentiment data on a lot of the blockchain projects out there. It kind of gives us a little bit of the community vibe. One thing that was interesting was there was some, um, I won't call it negativity, but there were definitely was some pushback from some of the audience uh, and some of the community. But at the same time, what we were finding was that there seemed to be an underlying effort uh, around HIP70 that was very pro, you know, the whole approach. And if you look at just uh, your voting, the final results, I mean, I was amazed that you were at 81 81%. Of the overall community in this, um, so this was a landslide for you know the community itself. Uh, from a governance standpoint, I mean, typically you don't see these kinds of um, these kind of performances. So uh, obviously, behind it in a big way, what made you guys select Solana? Because I mean, there's a handful of other projects out there that could have gone onto this uh, proposal here. Why go the Solana route other than developers? Kind of where they're going because there's there's some knocks against Solana with outages and you know the chain is is still in beta those kind of things. What was the what was the contributing factor? There's a bunch. I mean, one of the most critical components, and I, I don't see this talked about that often actually, even in the even in the HIP discussion, was uh, private key compatibility. And it mm -hmm. doesn't sound that exciting, but but the the key part of that it's a terrible pun. I just realized that the most important part <laughs> of that is that. Um, the migration for Helium users should be very straightforward. Uh, because both Solana and Helium use the same private key type, it means that Helium users will one day wake up and still use the same wallet app, still use the same 12 or 24 words that they've always used, uh, but now be on the Solana chain. Whereas if we had used something like Ethereum, uh, there would have had to have been a migration step, right? Some point wow. where you you kind of went to some trusted service and said, "Hey, I'm here are my twelve words, or twenty four words, and I'm migrating this wallet to that wallet." And I think that's extremely risky. You know, you've got yeah. people on vacation, you've got scammers and hackers that are going oh, to try and time. take advantage of this to to capture those private keys. And so that was a huge, huge consideration. Is is like how can we make the migration so seamless that just one day it happens and you didn't really know. Mm -hmm. uh, so Solana was one of very few chains where that compatibility existed. Um, I do think the point about the large developer ecosystem is absolutely critical. Uh, we, we want to like as quickly as possible get to the place where the community can meaningfully contribute to the Helium network from a code point of view. Uh, the decisions that we made around the monolithic design and the certain programming languages that we use, I think have made it hard for the community to contribute in a meaningful way. So I think moving to a, a platform that has a very active and, and expert developer ecosystem, I think is very, very important from that point of view. Yeah. And then of course you get into the, the stuff that you had on the matrix there, which are all obviously very, very important points, transaction cost, transaction speed, you know, exchange compatibility, like stuff like that is, is of course critical and, and transaction cost probably the most critical of, of, of that list. Uh, Cause you would get to this place on, on something like Ethereum where effectively the chain would be down, right? Like it would be too expensive. Right. Uh, to, to send transactions and you'd have to just wait, which is effectively the same as an outage. So 
Um, those were those were sort of the the things that we thought about. But definitely for me personally, like the private key thing was a big big deal because uh, otherwise the migration just sounded like a you know potentially a disaster if you had to rely on people actually taking a migration step. With the size of the Helium network and network of networks now, um, because you, you you look at the potential here around congestion issues within networks. We've already faced this uh, around the blockchain uh, all over the place. Obviously, Solana has been one of those that, that has probably been the most um, you know, public in terms of the most coverage, people talking about it. Will, will the fact that the Helium ecosystem have any pressure on the overall you know, congestion scenarios that might play out within the Solana blockchain, or is that just not necessarily relevant in terms of traffic? We certainly hope not. I mean, part of the design of, of HIP70 is to, I don't know whether aggregate or roll up or, or what the right word is there, but the Oracle design of, in, in HIP70 is really one of aggregation, right? So, so a lot of the transactions will really be off chain, you know, so things like proof of coverage, which is uh, hotspots transmitting data packets over um, RF radio waves and receiving them and signing them and, you know, the whole process that goes on there. That will all be kind of off chain uh, and the mm -hmm. oracles will send fewer transactions on chain, right? So that like, optimally, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Reliability is one of them. Uh, transaction cost is one of them. Consistency is, is, is one of them. Uh, but the end result should be that there are fewer transactions getting written to the chain itself. And we, we hope that that helps significantly with any congestion issues or any outage issues. And the same, you know, goes for data transfer. Uh, yeah. And if the, blockchain itself happens to be down, then those oracles will continue to do their work. They just won't be able to settle token balances uh, yeah. until the blockchain comes back. And so th that kind of consistency was very, very important in our thinking in HIP70. Uh, we have to account for the network being down sometimes or the network being too expensive to use or, or any of those scenarios shouldn't affect the users of the Helium network for whom data transfer reliability especially is critical. Yeah, very critical. Interesting that you're talking about, you know, the accumulation of almost in a way like uh, TDMA, CDMA works for mobile and, and cell networks, uh, packet delivery. A lot of people would understand that from a, a networking aspect. But to your point, being able to roll those up and then you use fewer transactions when you deliver a, a, a packet. So I can see that as a good thing for kind of that exchange between Helium and Solana. So that's a positive. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, slightly about the wallet. You said, would there be a change on the wallet or would it flip over to a Phantom wallet? How would that work within a Helium user versus a Solana Phantom wallet once that you guys make the full migration? Yeah, so our wallet will become Solana compatible for, for want of a better word. So, um, okay. you know, one day your wallet is, is just going to be a Solana wallet. You could also use any other wallet in the Solana ecosystem, whether it's Sat Phantom or Solflare or, or, or yeah. any of them that are, are, all, are all excellent. Um, and you know, one of the important things, at least for me, that we get out of a migration like this is we also get hardware wallet support, like in, in the form of Ledger. We've had Ledger support for, for a long time, but it's never been first class. You, you've always had to use um, a command line interface to sort of assist, and that's not... Right straightforward for like the vast majority of users. And, and we've done everything we can to push that along. Um, but we understand from a security point of view, the Ledger team is extremely cautious about which code they, they allow access onto their platform. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's a long and slow process with those guys. Uh, and again, just one of, one of the benefits of moving over to an ecosystem that's well-established is things like wallet support. So 
I guess the quick version is you can do nothing if you want and continue to use the Helium wallet. But if you prefer to use Phantom or Soulflare or any other uh, Solana ecosystem wallet, you can also you can also do that. Good. Uh, I think this is a it's it's a good understanding at least because I think a lot of our viewers, listeners, etc., really they've been Helium fans. We we see Helium's always one of our most viewed videos. Uh, and I think it's from the standpoint of, of kind of like what you talked about is it, the idea of what Helium is trying to do from a communication standpoint, especially now that you're moving into essentially mobile. I was looking at your Twitter uh, announcement here, say uh, obviously Helium Mobile, uh, for world's first crypto carrier, bringing the power of uh, the people's network right to your phone. So first of all, how did this this partnership come about? Because this is a pretty dynamic thing to see crypto projects like Helium with a major carrier like T-Mobile start to merge. Because it really does give, and it's something I've always said, Helium's probably one of the true utility use cases in crypto that's out there. This really kind of takes it to the next level. How did this partnership start off? When we announced Helium 5G, which I think was quite a long time ago now, actually, at least a year ago, um, the desire of building the Helium network was, was always to be a, a sort of companion network to existing telecom infrastructure. Like We're not under, quite frankly, any illusion that you can build a macro network uh, using unlicensed CBRS spectrum. We wish that that were true, um, but there's all sorts of reasons around physics and congestion that we think will make it either impossible or extremely difficult. Uh, I could imagine, by the way, some future where there's a, you know, Spectrum DAO or something that, you know, buys $20 billion worth of Spectrum at the next auction or something, but we're not quite there yet. I, I, I hope that we get there. So the idea behind Helium 5G was always to be a companion network. And the question was how, how best to be a companion network. Uh, the, the optimal or the initial strategy was, can we, start to build the network using proof of coverage as a incentive scheme, the same way we did in IoT, uh, and then work with telcos, the, the major telcos, you know, Verizon, AT&T, and then obviously T-Mobile, uh, to try and what they call in the industry offload data, right? Which is if a T-Mobile user is near a Helium hotspot, that they would start to use a Helium hotspot because it's cheaper or it's in a location that they don't have great coverage or whatever it may be. And an airport is a pretty decent example of that, right? When you mm -hmm. go inside an airport, you, usually someone else is actually operating that um, cellular infrastructure, but they have a relationship with the carriers and it seems right. seamless you know, to, to, to the end user. That, that's still, to me, the most optimal outcome, but it's, it takes time to get there, right? There's a lot that has to be proven about what Helium 5G is trying to do. Um, and so we always had this other plan in mind, which was while that is occurring, can we kind of bootstrap the demand side of the network in this way by having an actual like consumer or subscriber facing product. And of course, the challenge with that is the Helium network at the start, the 5G network is too small, right? To, to be useful enough in a broad way, right? Like if you're a existing T-Mobile customer, for example, like there's no way for you to consider switching to Helium 5G when sure. there's only 5,000 hotspots in the whole country, right? It's yeah. not feasible, it has to work perfectly. And so the, the solution for that is to engage in this hybrid uh, relationship with one of the carriers and T-Mobile is our uh, carrier partner for this. And the idea behind the hybrid strategy is that uh, a Helium Mobile subscriber will primarily use Helium hotspots when they're available, but when they move outside of range of a Helium hotspot, they will start to use the T-Mobile uh, macro yeah. network instead. 
And the benefit of that design is that you start to onboard users and demand and customers and data flow very, very early on, right? You're no longer waiting for the network to reach critical mass uh, before you can start doing that. And it causes this sort of dual-sided flywheel where, you know, the more helium hotspots there are, uh, the, the cheaper the cost of using Helium Mobile becomes, right? Because the cost okay. of the Helium 5G network is much cheaper than a, uh, a traditional telecom model. Uh, and then as more customers start to use Helium Mobile, the more Helium 5G hotspot owners earn in the form of H&T and due to, to the data credit economic design. So it's, it's very exciting that way, right? Because it's not a traditional kind of MVNO model by any means. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a, mm -hmm. what we're calling a crypto carrier, which is, you know, your, your phone is effectively going to try and pick the cheapest thing it can at all times. And if, that, if a Helium hotspot is in range, then it will do that. And that will benefit the entire Helium ecosystem, both for IoT users uh, and 5G users, right? Like any any right. data flow that travels through the network is ultimately beneficial to to HNT holders and the network overall. So really, I think critical mass is going to be a key thing here as you start to see more and more hotspots come on board. Obviously, this expands the the network of networks. Um, at some point down the road, do you see the future where helium could literally stand on its own? I don't think it's out of the question. I mean, as, as I mentioned, there are some challenges around the spectrum. You know, the CBRS is, operates at three and a half gigahertz, uh, which is quite high. And the, the propagation characteristics at that frequency are not great, right? So things like traveling through buildings and trees and, mm, you know, okay. the, the, all of that is, is more challenging. That doesn't mean it's impossible. If you look at uh, the coverage map of IoT, for example, and picked a city like San Francisco, and imagine every IoT hotspot being a 5G hotspot. I mean, you've got tremendous density mm -hmm. uh, in some of these cities. So I don't think it's out of the question. I, I do think it matters where you focus. You know, so a thing that I, I don't think a lot of people realize is 86, 87% of cellular traffic actually occurs indoors. Uh, and indoors is actually like the hardest possible place for a traditional telecom deployer to get access to a small cell or a macro cell. Yeah. So this is this is where something like Helium 5G is going to be extremely differentiated and extremely unique, is that mm -hmm. small cells are going to start popping up in all sorts of places that you could never feasibly put them in a traditional model. And I think that's going to make it very complementary to, to any macro network operator like T-Mobile, because there will be coverage in places where, quite frankly, they can't get it, or they, or exactly. they can get it, but it's extremely expensive for them to do it today. So th that's what I'm excited about, is like seeing this sort of hybrid sort of companion model play out in real time, I think is going to be amazing. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's very similar to what a lot of people refer to as last mile. You know, you get inside, once you're on a mobile device in many cases, uh, that's why we've seen Wi-Fi calling uh, really advance in terms of adoption and also the use cases around some of the devices that are kind of going that direction. On the map within Helium, and I mean, you guys do a great job with your site and, you know, registering all the, and we've done some Helium mining here in our own studio to take a look at kind of how this works. Uh, when we first started discovering Helium, will, how will the map interact with the actual hotspots in relationship to the actual coverage uh, with T-Mobile? Will this also show up on the overall Helium map itself? 
I'm not sure if we've decided the best way of representing this yet. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's important that we're extremely clear about what's happening. And, and that's, I think, a challenge in these new models, right? Because you're, you're sort of yeah. trying to describe something to consumers that they've never seen before. Exactly. Um, and so we, yeah. we, we certainly want to make sure that it's not misleading or ambiguous in any way. And we're not trying to represent that there are, you know, 5 million helium hotspots around the globe, mm -hmm. the, the country or something like that. And so th there'll be a way of doing this. We're spending time on it now. You know, I think we've always been quite strong in terms of user interface and making what we think are complicated subjects easy for consumers to understand. I think it's part of why helium has been successful so far is that we've been able to take extremely complicated things like mining cryptocurrency and, and standing up IoT gateways uh, and turn them into consumer propositions. And, and that's what we're continuing to do with the the 5G radios and the 5G hotspots as well. Let's talk a little uh, quickly around the Solana uh, Saga phone, Sega phone. Um, any any plans around how that might integrate at some point down the down the road? I'm excited about what they're trying to do both with the SMS, uh, the mobile stack that they have, but but also the Saga phone. I think both are critical steps uh, for mass crypto adoption. You know, like I think. Mm -hmm. um, private key control exactly. and sort of self-custody yeah. is kind of a mess T today. You know, the 12, 24 word thing is just, is tough, right? And and we've got four or 500,000, you know, self-custodians on our network. So we understand this very well. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the Saga phone in particular and what that will enable. You know, it's possible, for example, that Saga phone users would become proof of coverage mappers in the 5G network, right? Like it's mm. completely feasible that if you're walking around with one of these things, that you are verifying the 5G coverage network at the same time. Um, and so there's all kinds of exciting things to do. It was certainly one of the considerations. It wasn't, it wasn't a big one, but it was one of the considerations in, in picking Solana was that they have a very big focus on mobile uh, as a strategy, right? They understand that almost everything is mobile first these days uh, mm -hmm. in a way that I, I haven't seen really paid attention to from any other uh, blockchain projects. And so that, that's exciting. And I think there'll be all kinds of collaboration opportunities, uh, either directly with the Solana Labs team or, uh, you know, third-party developers in that in that ecosystem that will take advantage right. of the SMS stack. Yeah. Looking into uh, just Solana's ecosystem, you look at the DApps. You also look at their, you know, their prowess in the NFT space. Uh, you look at some of the key projects like Audius and Steppen, etc. That well-known in the, the Solana ecosystem, any chance for DAP or NFT integration with how this might flow out with Helium as a whole? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, every single hotspot on the Helium network is actually going to be represented as an NFT on the Solana network. So it mm -hmm. will be the largest mint by far on, uh, that's, that's probably the biggest danger from that's a congestion huge. point actually, is, <laughs> yeah, is, the, right. is, the, is the initial mint. Uh, but we'll figure out some strategy to make that sane. And I, I know the NFT teams there have all sorts of interesting compression technology and all sorts of stuff going on there. That's exciting. Um, but that's going to, you know, again, that's going to be super cool. I mean, you, you now are going to be able to trade hotspot NFTs on, you know, Metaplex or something. Right? And, and maybe <laughs> maybe Steppen users are proof of coverage mappers as well. You know, that there's, there's all this sort of composability and like crossover opportunity that you get by being part of this bigger ecosystem. And I'm super excited about, where that goes and, and how that develops. We're, we're in touch with a couple of those teams, um, but in general, you know, I, I kind of expect this to sort of play out over the next several months and, and post-migration. And, and I, part of what excites me about platforms is you don't know what people are going to do. 
right? You give them, they now have access to the tools and they might go do all sorts of things that we are not expecting. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about, about seeing what they do. Yeah, innovation kind of has its own uh, way of finding ways to fill the, the problems of society in a big way for sure. Okay, so uh, Amir, when you look at the scenario of Solana and some of the challenges that that chain has had over the last year or 18 months, and also I think in, in terms of just its, its address as, as a, uh, a solution for transactions, especially in the, in the Web3 space down the road, what we will see with Solana, if this doesn't work out with Solana, I mean, do you have a backup plan? Because in many cases, that's kind of always a, a wonder, you know, when you start these kinds of partnerships, uh, it does create a, a little bit of uh, uncertainty. The design that we proposed in HIP70 is pretty resilient to both chain outages, uh, but also opens the door for uh, subsequent migrations if we need to in the future. I, I highly okay. doubt that that is going to be a thing that, that we're worried about here. Um, but, you know, just to, to sort of play it out for a second, I mean, the Oracle design uh, means that the kinds of transactions that get written to, to a blockchain are kind of portable, right? Like you could imagine mm -hmm. moving the, the, the token part of the logic to a different chain and then updating the Oracles to talk to a different chain and, and that being a, a way to, to mitigate some catastrophic scenario. But I, I have absolute confidence that that will not be a problem. Uh, I think when you look at the performance of Solana, it's sort of, and this is something that we've experienced very acutely, it's very easy to have perfect reliability and consistency when the network isn't doing a whole lot, right? So when there aren't that many right. transactions yeah. or there aren't that many hotspots, uh, everything was running great, right, at the start when we had 150 hotspots. But as soon as you get to a million, you know, it gets harder. And I, I think that is kind of the case in the Solana ecosystem is that it is processing more transactions than every other chain combined, you know, multiplied by something. And so, it, you know, we, during the process of HIP70, we had these other L1 supporters sort of coming in and saying, why didn't you pick this thing? It's perfectly reliable. Yeah. It's, it's easy to be reliable when you don't have much going on. And so I, mm -hmm. I think that, that creates good pressure uh, on the Solana team and community to sort of focus on what they're good at, which is effectively building the fastest and most scalable L1 blockchain. And so it just, you know, I, I think they've done an amazing job of both on both the technology side, but especially on the community side, like the, the activity mm -hmm. in the developer community there is furious and very exciting. And I, I think that's really where you want to be looking, right? Like you, what are developers doing? I'm kind of reminded of, you remember when Windows Mobile came out and Microsoft was trying to <laughs> pay developers to yeah, like get developers to jump on board. Yeah. Yes. So it doesn't that. work, right? Develop, developers will go where, you know, they, they want to go because the tooling mm -hmm. is the best tooling or the platform is the best platform. Yeah. And I think that's what you're seeing with Solana and other chains are, are trying to sort of lure developers in other ways, but Solana has been incredibly effective at that. Yeah. I think the, uh, the, op the adoption opportunity, definitely huge here for what we'll see in the, in the future. And, and to your point, the scalability, Based on the size of the Helium network, I mean, scalability had to be one of the critical components here uh, for growth because obviously you guys have been growing at, uh, you know, exponential rates. Plus, you're really starting to move in, in more of a global, you know, footprint, which I think is obviously going to get into some very unique uh, scenarios, especially as we play this out in uh, countries that have somewhat uh, developed networks out there in terms of cellular networks, but don't necessarily have, you know, the Wi-Fi infrastructure, even to a certain extent, IoT. Uh, so I think that'll be um, pretty huge for you guys in terms of a scalable solution. 
Um, talk about the roadmap for a second, because I know this is, you know, I'm always curious what's next step. These are big moves around the partnership with uh, obviously Solana and T-Mobile kind of coming back to back. What are some of the next real big, you know, boulder moving uh, scenarios you guys got to get into? Well, there's there's a lot there. I mean, we've 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 been underway with the design of the oracles and the implementation of the oracles for for a little while here because we we knew we wanted to do that regardless what the L1 chain decision would have ended up being. That was that was a sort of design or a technical direction we were heading in anyway. So a bunch of good work has already gone in there. Uh, so feeling pretty good about how that's progressing. Um, there's a there's some alpha, beta, like public trials uh, or tests coming up that we're excited about that we'll get some feedback from the community on. Uh, the Solana work, I think, is about to start. Um, I, I am less literate in Solana land than I should be at this point, but I know that that work uh, is less complicated seeming to us than the Oracle work is. It's primarily okay. around token minting and redemption. I think there's a different set of concerns there, like the security audits and like how do you make sure this thing is reliable? And like you kind of got very public scrutiny on the code in a way that we didn't have on Helium, where everything was open source, but it's sort of security by obscurity a little bit, whereas many, many people are very, very familiar with Solana smart contracts and looking for exploits and holes. And so you, I think you have to be cautious there in a very different way. Um, so that work is, I, I think, about to start or starting. I think the foundation team is actually going to be taking the lead there. So there's plenty going on. Then obviously the integration work with T-Mobile themselves, you know, improvements on the 5G network and the hardware and the firmware there. There's, there's some interesting and good 5G hardware announcements coming up very, very soon, which we're going to be excited to talk about that will change the economics quite significantly. Right. Um, so yeah, just a lot. I mean, just a lot. I don't know where to, yeah, know where so, to start yeah, where to begin. in yeah. terms of what, yeah, there's just so much going on. But well, we're still you're... optimistic that we can get Solana done by the end of the year. That's still the hope. Yeah, and you're going into an area that, I mean, is one of the key cornerstones of uh, the entire modern world in, in terms of communications whether you layer it in from the IoT standards, obviously into what we're seeing now within 5G and the development and rollout of what we'll see with 5G and how that will play into not only your tech, but other, you know, other platforms I think that are gonna start moving in this direction, which is kind of ironic that we haven't seen a major carrier go this direction before. I was even taken back because I kind of thought, you know, new innovation, this would be something that really uh, started to move in that direction for major carriers. Obviously, T-Mobile is uh, more of a, a edgier, you know, thought process. Their their team definitely much more innovative. At least when I look at just the, some of the things they're doing. All right, so um, this is cool in the sense that you guys are you're going in the right direction here. I think there obviously there's a, a lot to look at here in terms of upside for where Helium could be and and really could be going going in the future. When you look at the overall framework of adoption, because this is the one thing that everybody is always asking about, how quickly can you scale? If you've got the, the devices are there and now you're layering in potentially 5G devices and maybe even cellular devices at some point, how do the economies of scale work in relationship to the actual economy of mining? Uh, because obviously we're gonna see a lift in numbers across a lot of different areas, IoT, 5G, et cetera. Does it change any of the dynamics around how the economy itself will run within HNT? The most critical thing about the economic design in HNT is data consumption, right? Like the, the, ultimately, the only way 
uh, to create a self-sustaining economy is if there is demand for users to actually use the network that's being built. Okay. Uh, we've always been aware of that. Um, that's always been the design, right? Like we designed the the economic structure to to exactly work this way and be deflationary when there's a lot of mm -hmm. demand and a lot of usage. With IoT, um, it's different from a cellular network, right? There aren't hundreds of millions of IoT devices out exactly. there today that use the LoRaWAN protocol that you can just make switch to, to Helium, right? Like this process takes time. Uh, I, I always use the example of uh, there's a, a customer of the Helium network um, that has built a tracking sensor that's just it looks like a piece of tape and you can tape it onto a box or a package or whatever and, and track it that mm -hmm. way. Uh, but it, they have been building that solution for as long as we have been building the Helium network and they are now ready with it, but now they are going to market wow. with it. And, you know, so it takes time, you know, this is a, this is a four, a five, six year process for them to go to market with a product built, built from scratch. And so, yeah, we, we think a decade is about the approximate timeline to see real, like real adoption on, on the IoT mm -hmm. network. And when I say real adoption, I'm talking about hundreds of millions of devices using the right, network. Right, right. Um, the network moves billions of packets a year as it is today. Um, but you know, you need hundreds of millions of devices moving, you know, hundreds of billions of packets a day in order for that, for, for that to really be what I would consider successful on the cellular side, it's kind of a, a slightly different story, right? Like it, it, there are existing devices out there in the wild that work and are compatible. Uh, no one has to build something from scratch in order to be able to be compatible with the helium 5g network or be a helium mobile subscriber. Uh, the amount of data something like a smartphone uses is completely different from from what an IoT dev device uses, where it may only send you know a message once a week or something like that. You, you know, so it's very different economically. Uh, but what I think is important is that everyone in the HNT ecosystem benefits from usage on either network and ultimately any network, right? Like it won't end at just five G. That there's already yeah. a proposal for a Wi-Fi network and there's a proposal for a VPN network, and so. The design is effectively that any time data is being consumed, HNT is being destroyed. And when HNT is de destroyed, it's very deflationary on the economics, which should be a benefit right, for, right. for everyone in the system. So that's a very important thing for people to realize that, you know, especially for, for those that aren't inside the US, right? Because Helium Mobile and Helium 5G today is a US, US only, only proposition because because it's yeah. the only jurisdiction where this, there's, there's a spectrum that you can use. Uh, but the effect of like massive data consumption will be beneficial for everyone in the ecosystem, whether you're an IoT miner in India or whether you're a 5G mm -hmm. hotspot operator in New York, like everyone benefits from the fact that more data is being consumed across the network. Yeah, so I think this has been a, it's been a good conversation. We've had a, I, I've learned a lot around what you guys are doing in terms, and I like the, the exchange uh, with Helium and Solana because I would agree, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a skeptic on Solana, but also... Uh, very optimistic about what that what that project can do, just in the sense of where it's going, and and I would say still that Solana is is next to Ethereum is is probably my favorite chain uh, in terms of future opportunities down the road. Um, so I think you guys good job on, on I think obviously on the the entire network. I know we have a poll coming up, and then a couple of questions here, Amir. Uh, let's take a look at the poll. All right. So would you ever use uh, crypto powered carrier? As your mobile service provider, yes, I'd want to contribute and earn eighty-three percent. So a lot of people going this direction. Do you yeah, think I mean, we'll see it, other carriers going down this path in the future? I mean, it's, it's real, like telecom is such an interesting industry. It's like one of those industries where no one is really that happy with their incumbent provider. Right. You know, like you can't find that many people who are like, "Yeah, I love AT and T." You know, like yeah, I, I've never right. heard that you know sentiment like 
relayed, even even though they, by all accounts, do a pretty good job. So it's one of those that I think is really ripe for disruption from a consumer point of view. Uh, and there are things that I, I think, especially in the crypto space, that we're all worried about, whether it's privacy or SIM swapping, right. and yeah. you know, like there's all there's there's crypto specific sentiment that I think matters for the early adoption of the network. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised to see others going in this direction. Like we we just as with the IoT network, like we've shown it can be done, and other people yeah. will come along and try exactly. and do the same thing. You know, I was listening to CZ talk uh, the other day, and he he mentioned this whole issue with the wallet as probably being one of the biggest um, you know, challenges for mass adoption. You even mentioned it to your, uh, to your effect there of how, to get, how do we get away from that. Obviously the phone is and has become somewhat of the modern day wallet. Um, and I know even within our own team, our researchers, et cetera, you know, the mobile device is super critical in being able to interface with so many different apps. In many cases, some of these are only mobile you know, ready and don't even have a website. So. Uh, I mean, in essence of uh, user interfaces, but I, I think that's going to be a, a pretty big opportunity in the future in terms of really solving that that wallet uh, situation. A couple of questions here. Uh, it, it would be nice if we could stake HNT on the Solana network. Anything planned there? No plans staking. there. Um... That's, it's an interesting, we, we certainly want to make staking for oracles available, right? So if you wanted mm, to run okay. a proof of coverage oracle or a data coverage or, or a data transfer or, oracle, uh, that there's a way for the community to do that and to participate. Right. Um, there is also a staking mechanism within the Helium network called VEHNT, which is like this vote ah. escrowed HNT yep. that allows you to, to vote in these governance proposals. Uh, so those are all sort of within the HNT ecosystem, but no uh, no plans to to allow HNT staking on the slot, on the Sol side specifically. Uh, Real talk sent in a super chat saying, uh, "Will the Solana Saga phone have Helium benefits?" Uh, UX only. Is that something that transition wise would would see something in the Saga phone? We haven't gone into it deeply yet. I think there's been all sorts of ideas and discussions, some of them around the wallet, as you pointed out, with the private key storage, which I think is a huge deal. Uh, we've all talked about, you know, could you use it as a proof of coverage mapper, you know, so you can verify the location of Helium 5G hotspots by just walking around with your phone. Uh, so there's ideas, good, really good ones. Uh, we just haven't gotten into any of the details around implementation or, or feasibility yet. How do you see the gaming side of things working with this? I mean, I look at, at people talking about, you know, just different kinds of applications and dApps. Eventually, we'll start to see more and more on the Solana network. Uh, how does that play out, you think, in the future for Helium? I mean, I, I see the question of Pokemon on Helium. I mean, one of the things <laughs> that we were joking about is like a Pokemon Go style of like proof of yeah. coverage mapping. Yeah. Absolutely possible. And, I, you know, I, I think some people know I have a, a gaming background. so. I've always been interested in what can be done around gaming as it relates to blockchains and crypto. And again, it's an area where I think Solana is far ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited about AR style, real world gaming opportunities as it relates to like mapping and proof of coverage and, and stuff like that. So I, I think that's, again, one of those areas where we'll see what the community comes up with. I think there's going to be all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, John comes on, uh, want to know uh, from you in, in terms of the number of accessories or potential advancement in accessories, a lot of smart devices, especially around the home, et cetera, IoT enabled in many cases. Um, how would those play out and any future for H&T to be involved in some of those industries? Or Yeah, this is models? one of those, yeah, this is one of those, uh, those places where 
there's a little bit of lag between a network existing and people building the devices that use the network. Like uh, up right. until now, LoRaWAN, which is the IoT protocol we use in the Helium network, has really been uh, commercial applications only, right? Because you had to kind of build your own network in order to use the, mm -hmm. the sensors, right? So if you're a warehouse or a factory or a refinery or something like that, you could you could create coverage there. Um, but there hasn't really ever been a home application or really any good consumer applications because there wasn't a network to use. Right. Uh, so now there is, and we're now starting to see some really interesting consumer and home facing applications coming. And I, it's continued, I expect to see that accelerate. Yeah, I just saw a release from NordVPN, who has now got a, a hardware device that is now making it a, a Wi-Fi hardware. So they've already gone into that direction. Obviously, a VPN that's resident for, for homes, that, but is built into a hardware aspect. Most likely, we'll see this in some of the uh, scenarios around you know, satellite, eventually, whether we see something with Starlink, things like that. A lot of good stuff coming in for, uh, from the audience out there. Uh, definitely uh, great having you on, Amir. Thank you so much for uh, stopping in. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. So uh, again, you guys are tuned in or maybe over on the podcast side of things right now. Uh, for these live streams, one of the things you can do to catch these live and really kind of get this alpha that we do here on the channel when we do deep dives and uh, you know founder and CEO interviews like we've done here with Helium is you got to get in on the YouTube channel. And the best way is to just subscribe and, and then hit that little bell right there on the channel. It's going to give you a notification. So the next time you're on YouTube, if you come to our channel, you can hit that notify me button. Um, you can do that. Uh, but the best thing is hopefully if the notifications work right with YouTube, sometimes I know it's a little weird. Um, you're going to get a pop-up and you're going to know we're coming live. And that way you'll catch this as, uh, as quickly as possible because in many cases it does have... Uh, a great advantage to be first when you're out there learning about projects and really kind of the next steps. If you're not into the Diamond Circle, make sure and jump into that. It's a free newsletter. Uh, we do it here. It's, gosh, almost 80,000 people in that now. And the cool thing is we drop a couple of emails a week. It's a way to keep up with what's going on here at the channel, but even more so some of our AMAs, some of our research, etc. all make it in uh, to that email as well. If you guys want to catch me, it is out there on Twitter, at Paul Barron. We'll catch you next time right here on TechMath. Thank <laughs> you.